0: Meanwhile, enjoy this highlight of our podcast and head over to EvolveNetwork.tv for the full Evolve podcast experience. from which many things will flourish from. Cheers. We've been using Waters Co. water filters for the last 10 years and I wholeheartedly trust my family's health with them. Waters Co. established 1977 have personal and domestic water filters which turns your ordinary tap water into great tasting alkaline ionized mineral water which removes up to 99.9% of fluoride, heavy metals, chemicals and bacteria so you can love your tap water again. The Bio 1000 is the latest edition of the BMP 1000 model and the culmination of over 40 years of experience and research into water filtration by some of the world's leading scientists. Watersco was first to market with natural gravity-fed systems, creating alkaline water way back in 1984 and have continued to lead the market in research and development, setting the benchmark for all other brands to follow. Please go to my webpage at petevans.com to learn more and to receive your special discount from my link on the products page. You're gonna love it, Chris. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. How are you, brother? I'm good, thank you. I'm honoured to uh, have this conversation with you and uh, the work that you have been doing. And before we get into that uh, groundbreaking work and life changing work, let's talk about your other life
1: changing work leading up to this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the what type of doctor are you? I'm a breast cancer specialist. Um, I've retired since I've been an academic professor um, in the University of California, both in San Francisco and uh, latterly at UCLA in Los Angeles. Um, But in the meantime, in the middle of all of that, I was also uh, associate professor here in the University of South Florida at the State Cancer Center, which is Moffat Cancer Center. Um, So I've been doing basically breast cancer all my life. First uh, back in Blighty in the UK where I was um, basically partly running the breast cancer services in Southwest Wales, uh, the real Southwest Wales, not new, anything. Um, And uh, then I was recruited to work in San Francisco. That's how I first came over to the States. And that's um, 15, 16 years ago. It's quite a long time ago now. And what drew you to medicine in the first place? That's a good point you know it's it's one of these things it's sort of been in the family for a long time but you know I was when I was a teenager I was more keen on football than anything else and when I decided I was never going to make um the well it wasn't the premiership back at that time it was the the, uh, first division of the uh uh, of the English Football League um I decided well hmm, let's is there a different thing that I could still get to see all these football matches? And so I thought, well, why don't I join the BBC as a cameraman and, (laughs) you know, crazy sort of stuff. But eventually, you know, these teenage years change you and gradually you realize, well, perhaps I ought to think about something more serious. So I I did engineering first. I was um, an electrical engineer. And then I decided, well, I've got all these A-levels, which are, so the high, highest um, uh, high school sort of uh, um, uh, qualification you can get, and um, the only thing I was missing was biology if I wanted to do medicine. So I sat down to it and uh, did um, the biology A level in a couple of years, and got into med school. And so there started my my journey. It's so a long, and- and convoluted, but
0: I got there in the end. <laughs> and coming from that um, that. I guess the brain space of being an engineer, because I've I've interviewed a few doctors now that have been engineers as well, and they've gone on to, especially during the COVID time, they've been well positioned with the way their brain works to be able to look at all the data and then process that. So, how did you find becoming a doctor with those with with how your brain works? Did you find it easy that there was systems in the body that uh, things made sense, or are you still confused by the whole
1: body system? <laughs> I don't mean that in a in a bad way, but I'm just... No, 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 no. I, I, I get where you're coming from. And um, yes, I mean, the thing is that um, back, back in the day, we used there used to be separate um, what was called preclinical studies. So you never got on the ward to see patients. So it was all very, very dry academic work. Okay, you dissected uh, patients with pathology who'd been embalmed. And boy, was that, you know, if you ever done that in biology classes, you know, doing it in a in a med school with tons of dead bodies in and you're all as a team, you're dissecting patients. It's 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 all very well, but it's disconnected from reality. So when you get on the wards, you realize, hmm, now I know what I should have been learning in the first two years. So you have to get down, you sort of, your brain starts to re- recycle all that information and 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 process that data in real time as you have to under the pressures of your consultant who was sort of standing over you uh, making sure you were doing everything absolutely right. And, uh, and there you go. Yeah. So, um, it, it did help. Um, but it's not as been as helpful as it has been now since I've retired and really got involved with these Pfizer document analysis. Um, you know, because I've done clinical trials really all my professional life, uh, both in Europe and in the US, you know, I'm I'm used to what a normal clinical trial looks like. And so when, when we start looking at Pfizer, you sort of, hmm, this ain't right. And, you know, I've been in, involved, you know, 30 years ago, I think it was now, I was involved um, with medical devices, getting them through the FDA. So I know what the FDA process was like, and it was really strict, and they were you know, they weren't um, paid for by a ph- uh, big pharma. And their first priority was to make sure there was no harm done to the patient. So that was you know, if, even with a, a medical device, you know, a camera or something, you know, <laughs> what's what's the possible chances you might actually cause, cause an injury to a patient? Very, very slim. Well, prove it to me. Then I'll allow you to do um, research using this. This new tool that you've um, thought up, you know. Mm. So, so I've got both the the regulatory side, dealing with that, both in Europe and in the US, and also the clinical side of re- clinical research in both um, continents. So, that's why alarm bells started to ring when when I finally you no, know, I thought everything was hunky dory until I got into all of this stuff in mm. the last year, and it's it's really been eye opening, and I've. I've found out more and more as I've talked to more people about how the FDA has been sort of bastardized really to be owned by pharma and same with the CDC it's all it's a revolving door so people who are on these committees um they get research money from big pharma when they're doing their clinical trials themselves to become the experts and then they uh, retire from those jobs and they move into big pharma, <laughs> so you know they get recompensed later on down the line. So you know it, it's been dis- it's been discouraging from that point of view that who are the people looking after us? Yeah, you know? where are they? You know, you, you've got you've got all sorts of medical tyranny down down yonder, both in Australia and New Zealand, um, and the regulatory authorities I think have been the same. From what I can understand from my colleagues I work with down in Australia, so you know it's everyone is the same worldwide, which never used to be the case. You know, you'd be able to do research in one country, which was totally, and you had to learn different things and how you would do trials compared to where you were, where you were running your trial. You know, it's sort of very, very interesting.
0: I'd love to ask you, uh, and I've asked this of many doctors and many um, patients that have. Healed themselves and uh, different people in the health profession, and and the definition of what you were taught medicine was way back, and uh, if
1: that definition has changed over the years. Well, it, it 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 certainly seems to have done. I mean, there's, I mean, even when I was a med student, we we talked about the Hippocratic oath, but it wasn't like you stood up and put up, lay your hand on the Bible and put and uh, swore allegiance to Hippocrates. You know, it wasn't like that. Um, but it, it was assumed and it was sort of, it was drilled into you through everything that you did, that you did no harm to the patient first. That was the most important thing. And so you always looked at risks versus benefits. And when I've been, um, teaching med students nowadays, it's sort of, very unusual sort of topics they learn. And you want to teach them the basic things like that, you know, about the Hippocratic Oath and things. And um, no, that's not kosher. You're not really allowed to discuss it. You have to discuss X, Y, and, and Z, which is the, the new way of 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 dealing with these um these people. You've got to mollycoddle them through, you know, and sort of tick the boxes. Um, and then say, oh, yeah, they've successfully passed the module um, and they move on. And, you know, I'm I'm concerned about the quality of doctors coming out. Now, I know that in some centers, like in San Francisco, for example, I was working with, you know, the, the cream of the crop. They're really, really good on top of it all. Um, and slightly different here in, in the University of South Florida. And again, in other places I've been um, the attitude seems different, and I think there's, a, there's both a gener, generational difference, um, but also the system is different. You know, it was, when you think about it, you can actually read about this. I don't know if you've ever read some of the, the old um, books called Doctor in the House. Um, they were made into films back in the 60s and 70s. They were sort of slightly comedy things, but it was based on real life in the old hospitals with Sir John Osler and all these people, and then the houseman having to do all these sort of crazy things, you know, and and it was great fun and life. Life working in hospital was a lot of fun, um, um, but things, as I say, things have changed. They haven't got the same, the same. Uh, well, it's like the moral framework isn't doesn't seem to be there because you know it's not it's not obvious. Uh, and really, you have to when you're teaching them, you have to follow the manual. You know, this is what these are the these are the guidelines <laughs> to, through which you can work. But don't you dare stray on one side or the other. You know, and so you can't you can't open them up to a rational thought. Just think about think about what you're doing. You know, tell me, tell me, for example, you know why. I mean, what what are the benefits here what what is there anything I should consider I mean what's the potential for damage to this patient if you do that compared to if you do that? you know so that sort of thing isn't encouraged and i I would be very <laughs> I'd be very unhappy to be looked after by one of these young doctors at the moment mm. and your focus
0: was on breast cancer for so many years mm hmm why do you think there has been a, um, such a rise in not only breast cancer but cancers globally over the last
1: 50, 60, 70 years? Well, there is, has been a rise in, in cancers because of the number of mutations that have been occurring through there's all sorts of toxins in the atmosphere, in the water, in the food and everything else, all the additives, you know, you, you pick up um, – some some ground beef or something and you look at the back, look at the label. Um, wait a minute, there's more than ground beef in here. <laughs> and there's a list of 500 different ingredients. Some of those, of course, now are being a GMO. Um so they've been manipulated, they're genetically manipulated. Uh, and um all of these things we don't we don't really understand how it how it causes um issues, but it does there are multiple different attacks on what's called the guardian of the genome that's a p53 uh, enzyme um, all the people who do biology learn about um, the guardian of the genome because if this gets damaged if you think about it, this is what it's like the gas pedal
0: i really hope you enjoyed the first half of this podcast if you'd like to listen to the rest please visit evolvenetwork.tv that's evolvenetwork.tv we'll see you there
1: The information, views, and opinions expressed in this podcast should not be treated as a substitute for nutritional, medical, or other advice by a qualified professional. Guests in this podcast express their own opinions, experiences, and conclusions, and nothing in this podcast should be used to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any medical condition. Neither Pete Evans nor any sponsor endorse any views, opinions or conclusions expressed or shared in this podcast.